0: Y'all ready to open the Bible? Let's go. All right, you have your Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to continue this message. It was supposed to be just one part. We're at part two, but I'm quite confident that we can finish it today. I'm in Galatians 5, and I'm going to read the whole passage again just for context for those of you who are new this week or missed it the last week. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5. 16 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Galatea. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. their sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, that word means practice or make a habit of, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires for if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying Another. The title of this message, as it was the first time that we started it, is Finding the Right Pace. I'm using this language about pacing because the Apostle Paul uses this language about keeping in step. For the Apostle, it really is about connecting, following, modeling the life of Jesus, the, 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 the urging of the Holy Spirit, and, and in doing so, walking by faith, keeping in step with the Spirit, in doing so, we bear much fruit and resist the works of the flesh. This is about finding God's pace for your life. The big idea, as we shared it a couple of weeks ago, was there is a pace at which God leads his people. His people are led at this pace. And it is high time for everyone who calls themselves a Christian to find that pace and get on it in Jesus' name. Amen. I I just don't want you to be stuck in a place where you say you're Christian, you practice Christian ease, you you look Christian, but you're out of step with the Spirit, unable to bear fruit and continually succumbing to the desires of the flesh and the sins of this world. A couple weeks ago, I used the metaphor of racing, IndyCar, NASCAR, and I shared with you a few of my favorite movies to the frustration and sadness of my poor and beautiful holy wife. I told you all how I was a big Will Ferrell fan, and she's like, babe, that's not holy. And it's true, it's not. And I still love those movies. Amen. But I use the metaphor to explain to us how in which uh, we can understand pacing in a general sense, talking about race cars. And the the truth is is that there's really three paces by which any human can live. Our natural pace, our our natural process, or the natural pace that we keep is to live by the flesh, to to give in to fleshly desires. For we live in a fallen world where sin has become our nature... And, and, and it is our natural order to be sinful, to give to these desires that would prevent us from, inherit, from inheriting the kingdom. And because this has always been the way God, in His first major act of grace, gave His people the law, and the law served as a pace car. A mechanism by which we would be governed or guided by some rules that would prevent us from being driven by our own pace, our own desires, our own fleshly ways, but would also limit us from being totally free in our faith and in our walk. The thing that the law does is sets a standard, but it does not set you free. The law in and of itself is actually a binding mechanism that says if you practice some of it, you must practice all of it, and failure to practice all of it means failure to practice all of it, and you're in trouble. And so the truth of the matter is, is that while it's an act of grace to give us an understanding of the way we should go, it is still not the fullness of what God has for his people. Y'all tracking with me? And so as time comes, God reveals his son Jesus. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus enters into the world at a perfect time and a perfect place. We're going to talk about that in December, why God chose when he chose for Jesus to come. And when Jesus comes, we are given the opportunity not to live by the flesh and not to be governed by the law, but to be free and free indeed. That means free to be exactly who God's called you to be and free from the curse of sin. That's the benefit of trusting in Christ Jesus is that you no longer have to play by the rules. The rules are put inside of you and you walk it out each and every day. See, religion sets a, a standard upon you that you have to aspire to. And our relationship with Jesus puts the standard inside of you that comes out on an ongoing basis. Amen. And those are the three ways in which we find our step, our pace. And so last time we met, we had endeavored to do both. The the works of the flesh and, and the fruits of the spirit, but we only got through the works of the flesh, and and uh, and there was fifteen of them, and that's not an exhaustive list. But but boy, we had a time, amen. We we talked about sex more in that Sunday than I think we ever have in my and I didn't. It was just here, and my wife was like, that was raunchy. I mean, holy, but it, we were we got into the mix, amen. And I think it's good to do that, amen. We never wanna be the kind of church that we we skip over what's in the text for fear that we might offend each other. Let us not be fearful of offense. Let's dive in and say, what does it mean and how can I be changed and look like Jesus? Amen? Amen? Amen. And so, the good part today is that we get to talk about the good parts today. We went through the The 15 or so sins that when practiced, made habitual, or that become a lifestyle, hard word from Paul, prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. The apostle doesn't mince words here. He doesn't say, hey, if you live like this, I mean, it's not good, but you might be all right. Paul never says that because Jesus never said that because the father never said that. Paul writes a hard thing, and he says, these 15 and others like it, if they become who you are, if it's your practice, your habit, your identity, and your lifestyle, and you are unrepentant in walking in it, there is no inheritance for you. And it's a stark warning to Christians to be mindful that God is a God of black and white. There is no compromise. Now, he sends an intercessor who makes it so that the things you can't do in and of yourself, you can do by the power of Christ. But he still does not compromise standard in Jesus' name. I'm just catching us up. I'm just trying to teach us for just a second. Just catching us up. The apostle shifts his focus today to talk not about the works of the flesh, those things that we do that are an outcry of our sinful desires. No, he shifts it to talk about the fruit of the spirit. The Bible is replete with agrarian metaphors to help us understand how supernatural things work in a natural world and maybe you've heard about the ways in which you and I might bear fruit. When the apostle writes it, he's essentially echoing the voice of Jesus. Maybe you know this passage, it's from John 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is the voice of our King, our Lord, our Savior Jesus. He says this, "I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches for apart from me, you can do nothing. He continues in a conversation about abiding, but what Jesus is really doing in this moment is trying to explain to us the depth of a relationship necessary that we might be transformed and become like him. Amen. I love this phrase that Jesus uses. It's hardcore. He's nice, but he's also truthful. And when he says some things, sometimes they can hurt your feelings. He says this, apart from me. This is Jesus sweet meek wonderful jesus jesus that all the babies run to amen tender kind and he says hey if you don't if you don't have me you have nothing if you're not connected to me you can bear nothing, if you don't stay close to me, if you're, not, if you're not with me, there is nothing good that is coming your way. It's as though Jesus is desperately trying to warn a rebellious generation to say, I love you, and I want you to love me, and I need you to lean into this thing because there's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and if you're not with me, it's, it's, it's death. That's the beauty of the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's downright offensive. You may have come here today and said, I like the Jesus thing. I don't need all the other stuff, but he's sweet. Yes, he's sweet. He is the lamb, but he's also the lion. And he is going to come back one day to rule and to reign and to judge us by the standards which he set. And this is one of the standards. He didn't say, you can bear fruit with me. And another way, he said, there's no fruit anywhere else. And when he comes back, he's looking for fruit. So let's talk about fruit. How many of y'all are fruit eaters? Fruit eaters. How many of y'all are not fruit eaters? There's a few of us. I, I don't like fruit. Brandy, you don't like fruit? I'm not a fruit person. I will eat some, I will murder some celery. But <laughs> I don't like fruit. I, it's just, I don't know what it is. My wife likes mango. My mouth itches when I eat mango. Do you? Does anybody get this? I, I, I'll eat some grapes and the pectin makes my belly stick. I just don't, I'm not a fruit guy, right? But my wife is a fruit guy and she got it from her father. Her, her, she's a fruit gal. Amen. And she got it from her father. And he's a fruit guy. If you ever meet Papo, he always has fruit. In fact, he found a basket the other day, and he thought the basket was perfect for peaches. He thinks about fruit. He thinks like fruit. He's always concentrated on fruit. And Papo looks 20 years younger than his age. I don't know, Popo might be 100, but I think he looks 46. I mean, Poppo is good. There's something about the fruit. He could live on fruit alone. I meant to visit him one time at his job, and I showed up around lunchtime, and he was sitting at his desk, and he had an entire, I mean, a full, 100% percent full size pineapple split all the way up, and he was just eating the whole thing. He eats a whole pineapple in one day. And skin just be silky smooth. Now, pineapple is not one of the fruits of the spirit, <laughs> but there's something about fruit. See, the, the reason that the Bible uses the metaphor of fruit is fruit is how you identify a tree. See, you can look at a tree by its bark, and its bark can match the bark of another tree. You can look at the leaf or the pattern of the veins within the leaf, and it can still match another leaf. But you see the fruit, and you know exactly what kind of tree that is. And so when the Bible is talking about fruit, it's saying these are the fruit of the Spirit. You see this in someone's life, long-term sustaining, fulfilling fruit like this? You know exactly who the branch is, and you know exactly who the vine is. You know where this fruit came from. Paul says, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that when you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you give him your mind, your will, and your emotions, it is this that he produces in you and through you. Now, I'm going to break up these nine, and we're going to define each and every one of them. I'm going to teach a little bit today. And we're going to define all nine of them. I'm going to break them into two groups. The nine are broken into two groups. The the first five we're going to do are fruit that are produced through you. This is fruit that God produces in the life, the living, and the being of everyone who is submitted to the Holy Spirit, and he produces it through them for the world around them. Y'all with me? This is fruit that's of benefit for others. And then the other four is fruit that the Holy Spirit produces within you. This is fruit that God gives you for you. And the two matter because you don't want to just be the kind of person that's always pouring out. The Holy Spirit knows that left to our own devices, if we pour out, eventually we'll grow empty. So the Holy Spirit has a whole set of ways in which he continues to pour into us. Amen? Amen? What I'm gonna do is define each nine. I'm gonna give you the Greek word. I'm gonna give you what's called a a, a principle of first mention or what's called a principle of primary mention. We're going to look at the word, we're gonna define the word, give you the Greek word where it's a variation of the word, and then I'm gonna show you in the text, typically from the Old Testament. Where this concept was first laid out, line upon line, precept upon precept, that you might know that this word that Paul preaches is an echo of the word Jesus preaches, which is an echo of the word that God spoke to his chosen people. You with me? I'm teaching today. I hope you all are good with me. I'm just, we're going to line through this because I don't want you to miss this. You might read the nine and hustle through it and miss all of them and what they really mean. First one is love. God starts everything with love because God is love. Amen. The nine are this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The first five are those that are produced through us. And the first one is love. The Greek word is agape. And this word means the affection that comes from the inside out that is a bountiful blessing to other people. Hear me, love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Truly, love is a person. His name is Jesus, and when he lives in you, he causes you to work, amen? Love, as the Bible defines it, is not merely what you feel, but how what you feel drives you to do what you do, specifically so that others are blessed beyond measure without you there. Principle of first measure mentioned here is Genesis 29 and 20. Jacob fell in love with Rachel. Jacob, whose name would later be turned to Israel, is... Sent away from his own family because he's made some bad choices. And he lands in the land of his forefathers and he meets a girl. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't know if you've ever met a girl for the first time, but every 15 year old boy in this room knows what it's like to meet a girl. And you're like, well, I'm done. (laughs) I have high school boys and I just get a kick. I won't tell your stories, I promise you can't. But I just get a kick. Out of them talking to girls. I'm like, who are you talking to this week? What's she like? Is she pretty? Is she nice? She loves Jesus? Come on, tell me all about it. I get excited. Jacob meets a, a girl. Bible says that Rachel is beautiful. And he sees her and bursts within her. It's not merely an emotion, not merely an affection, not merely an attraction, but the kind of agape love birthed within him that causes him to serve selflessly and without pay for seven years, simply in the hopes that he might get her phone number. Agape in this moment is to say, I don't know what it's going to take, but I feel something so strong, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bless you Agape is the love that the Father gives the world through his Son, Jesus. It says, I love you so much, I will do nearly anything to bless you. Not just to get you, but just to bless you. And when the apostle is writing about the nine fruits of the Spirit, he starts with this one. Because here's the deal. They all build on each other. Without love, hear me, there will never be kindness. Without love, there will never be joy. Without love, there will never be peace. Without love, nothing else matters. And so the apostle writes that he says, love, love is how you feel, and love is how you feel that changes the way you treat other people so that their life is better because of you. Amen? So ask yourself this question. Am I walking in that kind of love to the world around me? Are people experiencing agape love from me? Second one in the list of fruit that are produced through us is kindness. The Greek word here is praotes, and it means to put others before self in service and in care, okay? Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, it, it, it is a picture of what it means to condescend. That word, not condescending like a mean tone, but to condescend as though to go lower. It is to condescend to a posture of humility towards God and others. Kindness is when you put others above you, their needs above yours, their will above yours, their wishes above yours. You make yourself, this one's gonna be hard, ready? A stepping stool for others to go higher. You said, hold on, I'm never going to be walked on. I'm not going to be a stepping stool for somebody else. I'm my own man. I deserve respect and honor. Nah, maybe. Jesus told us that if you really want to love somebody, you should be willing to lay your life down for them. Now, when I read Jesus, when he talks about his mission, I rarely hear him say things like, they better respect me in Galilee. Galilee. When I walk into Capernaum, I'm telling you right now, if they call me out my name, I'm not doing nothing there. Jesus walks into every circumstance knowing full well that they won't respect him, won't adore him, won't love him, won't like him. They'll talk bad about him and out of his name, they'll even try to kill him. And he still walks in the room and says, I am here to help. Who needs help? That's kindness, friends. And hear me, ready? He has called you to live that for everyone. So, when you go to the movie theater later this week, and you bought your tickets in advance on Fandango, and you show up to the theater, and someone is in your seat. See, I felt that. Y'all felt that. Oh, no, they didn't. I was in F2. F2 is mine. Let kindness lead the way you interact with those people in that moment. How can I help you? Not, you better get up. Because if they're in your seat, they're in the wrong seat, which means they need help finding the right seat. How can you think differently about people who are in the wrong so you can help them make it right? That's kindness. Not to put them in their place, to help them find their place. Number three, in the fruit of those that are produced through us, this is goodness. Agathusune. It is to be a virtue and a benefit to others. The unique part about this is that when people think of you, do they think... That you are good for them. Does everyone who meets you think you're good for them? Wow. I mean, I know some people think you're good for them, right? They meet you and, and you're good to them. But there's a few people. Are we, are we an honest church? There's a few people. It's <laughs> not <laughs> one of you. One of you was like, well, we might be. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready. How honest. Let's be honest. There's a few people in your life that when they think of you, they don't think of you as a benefit to them, do they? Do they think of you as a hindrance? An obstacle? Do they think of you as a thorn? Are you pain for them? Are you a distraction or a derailment? When they think of you, do they think of you as trouble or do they think of you as virtue? This is what it means to be someone who's defined by the fruit of goodness. First mentioned in Exodus chapter 18, verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for the total sufficiency of God's goodness. Jethro, looking over the land in which he was settled, realized that he had all he needed. And he recognized that God was truth and God was sometimes challenging, but he recognized that no matter what had come his way, God had always been of benefit to him. The word goodness means to know that when I meet that person, things are going to get better. You know the person we were just thinking about that you're, you're not a benefit to? You should fix that this week. Let's, let's not get all theoretical and not put some skin on this. You know, the people you've done wrong, you should make a phone call this week or at the very least a text. You know, the people you've hurt and you've said, well, God's forgiven me. Yeah, maybe maybe they haven't yet. Maybe they're desperate for an opportunity to be met by you. God has called you not to be a harm to them, but to be a virtue. you really want to look like Jesus, you might need to make some hard conversations this week. You, you cannot just leave these things aside. Good followers of Jesus Christ are a virtue and a benefit to others. Amen? Number four, faithfulness. The fruit produced through us is faithfulness. It's the Greek word pistis. We have studied this word at length at this church. Pistis means the persuasion that leads to constancy in God about his faithfulness, his nature, and his will for us. The beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ, about surrendering to the Holy Spirit, is not just that he'll produce all of these things through you, but he will also produce more faith in you to trust him more. There is nothing else like this in the world. Trust me, I've tried it. There was no high, no taste, no experience, no love, no fire, no wonderful thing that this world has to offer that not only benefits you for the good, but also strengthens you to want more good. The Holy Spirit gives us faith. He says, trust me a little bit with mustard seed faith and I'll give you mountain moving faith. Yeah. He says, those who are faithful with a little will be made ruler over much. The Bible tells us that faith can grow and the Holy Spirit does it from the inside out. You said, you said I, I don't really know him all that well. Don't worry. Start where you're at and let him grow you in the relationship. That's why the man reaches out and he says, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm not all the way there. And Jesus loves that prayer. The Holy Spirit loves to hear you say, there are areas in my life where I'm missing and I'm lacking and I need more. And Jesus says, I came to give you more. Deuteronomy 32 and 20, God says, the people lack faith. But even though they lack faith, his faith is perfect. For those of you here today and you struggle with your faith, I want you to understand that your lack of faith, your, your growing doubt, your worry and your question, it has never and will never intimidate God. He is not looking at you going, why can't they get it right? He is looking at you saying, I love to watch you fight the fight. Watch me strengthen you in the battle, amen? Number five, in those that are produced through us, this last one, it's gentleness. The Greek word is krostotes, and it means a tender heart marked by mercy and grace. I'll just put it to you like this, super simple. Those who have received mercy are oftentimes the most merciful. One of my favorite people, kinds of people to minister to are men who are coming out of incarceration. I love this group of men, and maybe it's because I, I've been in jail. A few times. <laughs> There's something uh, really amazing when, when, when bars are shut in front of you, and then God opens those same doors. Amen. Amen. I remember the first time because uh, I'd been arrested a bunch when I was younger because uh, i didn 't pay parking tickets just so you know that's you can go to jail for not paying tickets amen and And, um, and I finally went to jail one time on a, a little bit of more of a charge, and rather than giving me what's called a PR bond, just letting me out, they actually gave me a change of clothes, and it wasn't the best outfit i'd ever seen before and and, and they, they let you go into your your new, your new airbnb and um, And I remember when they closed the doors, something shifts in the way that you think about yourself the moment the door is locked because it's proof of who you really are. Not who you really are in God's eyes, but who you really are in the flesh. And I remember when the door finally opened, feeling like God's mercy had rushed into a place devoid of mercy and grace, and it had birthed in me that day a compassion for people who have fallen down. That's why I'm always asking who's in here for a second chance or a third chance. There's something unique that happens when you know you don't deserve God's grace, but he's come in late in the midnight hour when the enemy raised up a standard against you. The Lord set things different and right, and when I meet men, specifically men who come out of incarceration, I'm going to tell you this. It is the men who look the who have the tenderest heart? I mean, people who are successful, ain't never been in trouble in their whole lives, mean as hornets, Mark. Just mean. You meet a dude with tattoos on his face and it's this death that his forehead. That dude is a dove. I'm telling you right now, you can get a big old, but come, come here, come here, come here. They're sweet. Why? Because when God sets you free, When God shows up and does things for you that you knew you could not do for yourself, you have a different perspective about the world around you. You no longer hold grudges. You no longer anger. You realize that if it wasn't for God, it was on my side. This is what it means to be gentle. This is gentleness that says God's done something. And I want to do the same thing for other people. First mention, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 36. God gives this gentle clemency to David. David, a man after his own heart who made a significant, major, and horrifying mistake. Who not only committed adultery, but also sent his best friend to die. God gives this breathtaking act of clemency that not only shifts what he does, but shifts how he thinks and how he holds others in regard later on. This is gentleness. Y'all with me? About 15 minutes left and I got four. There are four fruits of the spirit that are born not through you, but in you. Amen? Those four are this. Joy, peace, patience, and self-control. And I'm actually not gonna spend as much time on these But I want to make a little time at the end here. Joy, the first one, it's the fruit of the spirit that this church has always been meant to and strives to be known for. When we planted this church, I made sure that everyone on our team understood the vision. At Beacon, we want you to experience Joy. We're going to preach a hard word. The gospel's going to go forth, the full counsel of God, and yet we want the spirit of joy to reign true in this room, so that when you leave, you know that God's prunes you for your good. Joy. The word is kara, and it is this: exceeding gladness from within, not predicated by what's without. Amen? Look, here's the deal. The world can provide happiness. There is no shortage of opportunities to make you happy. But happiness, you've heard me preach, has to do with happenings. What happens around you. You can be made happy when something happens. But joy comes in the morning. Joy is on the inside. Joy says, look at me. I'm a bonehead. I never get any of this right. And he still loves me. I feel good each and every day. Joy looks at himself in the mirror and says, you are not very attractive and you're gaining weight and you're losing some hair, but God still loves you. I like the way that this is working. Joy says no matter what comes my way, I will rejoice because my God loves me. Amen. First Samuel chapter 18, verse six, the people are filled with victorious joy that gives birth to hope because they know that God is in control. That's joy. I don't always have everything together. But I know the one who has everything together. And I'm good with that. Number two, peace. Greek word here is Irene. And it is the personal sense of safety, security, and rest. Mentioned in Genesis 15, 15, God's promises that all will be fine for the faithful peace. peace is spiritual reprieve from the chaos that this world offers. You ever meet somebody who's just going through hell and they're like bizarrely calm? Amen. Some of y'all are in it right now. You're like, "Oh, how you how you know?" We got a couple of people in our church and I have walked them I've walked with them through some storms. And and even at one point, one of our deacons had gone through a really difficult season, and I just leveled with him because we we had it like that. And and Travis, I said, hey, man, are you freaking out? Because I'm kind of freaking out. And he was like, no, I'm not freaking out. This is good for me. (laughs) Amen. Some of y'all rolled your eyes. How can chaos be good for me? Look, here's the deal. Sometimes God will let you be in a lion's den. Sometimes he'll put you in a fiery furnace. Sometimes he'll remove you from the lion's den and remove you from chaos so that you feel peace. And sometimes he just makes you fireproof in the fire so that even though it burns around you, all it's really doing is burning off all the things that are unlike him. You see, that's what it looks like to have peace. It says, I don't really care what the storm brings because Jesus has been sleeping the whole time. So I'm going to take a nap too. I'm good with what God lets come my way. Because if it came across his desk, I know Romans 8.28 says he'll work all of it together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So bring it on. I'm good. Let's go. I have peace. Shalom. Shalom. Number three, patience. Mm. (laughs) If you know me, you know I don't like to preach about patience. I don't like patience. You cool with me just being honest? Does anybody like to be patient? I've never met anybody who, if they're being honest, is like, where are the lines? I feel like going standing in lines. No one does. You drive the same highways I do. You watch the same lines going into the Broncos game. You're like, which one is the shortest? There it is, right? Oh, gosh, every time. I don't know what it is with me, but no matter what lane of traffic I'm in, I'm behind the slow guy every single time. And I know that's God. Thanks. Sorry. I, I don't love patience. And when I came across this text, I remember thinking, boy, you better show me something because I'm not trying to talk about waiting. The Greek word for patience here. Manruthumia, manruthumia, manruthumia. And it has nothing to do with waiting. Manruthumia is the ability to endure with a growing trust that God is blessing you. This is not about waiting in lines. Patience is the ability to know that even if what I want has not come to pass, I can still walk and be content. And while I'm waiting, while I'm enduring, while I'm persevering, I'm getting stronger, I'm growing better, I like this journey a little more. And in fact, tell me if you've experienced this by the time I get to the blessing. <laughs> turns out I like the God of the blessing more than the blessing. Patience says Man. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Patience says, wait till you fall in love with the God who walks with you and talks with you and you don't even care where you're going. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And I need this <laughs> because there are some seasons in my life where I'm asking God for change, blessing, and it doesn't come to pass when I want it. Right. And patience says, So while you're working on it, can we just spend a little more time together? Last one. Self-control. The word here is ingratia. It's where we get the term gratuity or to be ingratiated to someone. And self-control, oftentimes used in other translations as temperance, it means this personal restraint of mind and body from sin and temptation. Now, this matters because this is the principle of first mention. There is no Old Testament mark, mention or example of self-control. There is no other time in the Bible save for this first utterance from the Apostle Paul, where we learn about our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist sin. You ever go through a season in your life where you know what's right and wrong and you still do what's wrong and you say to yourself, I just can't help myself? You ever do that? You ever be in a place and you're just like, man, I don't know what it is, I just keep doing this. This is that fruit, that no longer lets you say, I can't help myself. The truth of the matter is, is that the Holy Spirit gives us, hear me, the power to defeat sin. Yes, sir. You came here today and you, 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 you heard me preach this. You, you, you know what it's like to be saved and you still struggle with sin. I want to tell you in a very hard, stark truth because I love you and you deserve to hear it. You do not struggle with sin. You choose sin. Yeah. You love Jesus, but you also like that thing. Because if you're really blood-bought, oh, you better hear me preach this morning. If you are really blood-bought, if you're really saved and sanctified and washed with the word, if you belong to Jesus and are moved by the Holy Spirit, you do not struggle with sin. You have the victory over sin. And so when the enemy comes in and says, what about this? You can say, no, no, I don't need that. I don't want that. It's not for me. I don't want you to believe the lie that says you are saved and powerless over some things in your life. You're not powerless. You're not powerless over greed. You're not powerless over sex. You're not powerless over lust. You're not powerless over depression. You are not powerless. The Holy Spirit gives you self-control to look the enemy in the face and say, You will not pass this line. This is holy ground. I am blood-bought and saved. And so I want to do something today. Every week for the last month or so, we've we've been opening this altar as we worship for the last couple songs. We've been giving you an opportunity that if the Lord wants to talk to you or you need prayer, to come down and our team will pray with you. We're going to do the same thing today, but I want to pray with you. I'm gonna come down here in just a moment and I'm gonna invite anyone to join me for prayer. And and here's who I wanna pray with. If you lack love in your life, if you lack joy, if you lack peace, if you lack patience, if you're unkind, If you're not good. If you're harsh and not gentle. If your faith is fading. Or if you just can't help yourself when it comes to certain sins and afflictions. There is fruit that the Lord wants to birth in your life. He wants to produce these things in you. And if you lack them you can restart and find the pace of God to let him birth through you these things again. I will start with this. If you're here today and you don't have self-control, I would run to this altar right now. If you think you're the kind of Christian who can say yes to Jesus, but something's got you and it's breaking you and it's breaking you and it has you and it's a hold of you, I would run to this altar right now. We're gonna pray together If you're here today and you just can't beat this thing, it's got you beat every day. It's got the hand on you. And there's no way that you think you can get out in and of yourself. I want to pray with you. We're going to break that off your life. We're going to birth self-control by the power of the Spirit today. You're here today. And you said, if I'm being honest, I've never had peace. My whole life has been chaos. It's chaos around me all the time. My thoughts, my relationships, my environment, it's always been chaotic. I need peace. Peace, peace. If you're here today and you need peace, I would run to this altar right now. I want to pray with you. We're going to pour peace into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're here and the curse of depression has had a grip on your life. Anxiety has held you blocked down and you simply do not have joy. Joy that helps you to overcome everything that comes your way. Joy that says no matter what happens, I will stand firm. If you lack joy, I would come to this altar today. You're here. And you're like me. You lack patience. You don't wait. And it's you first. You're here and you're like me. You don't have gentleness. You're not often kind. You're not often good to other people. I was like that for so many years. I was just mean and angry. That's you. I want to have you come down today. We're going to pray together. Church, I'm going to come down and pray. While I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to worship. I'm going to ask you to set an atmosphere of worship where the Lord is magnified in this room so those who are in need can meet with agreement today. Would you intercede on their behalf? And one last chance, if you're here today and you know you lack fruit, You know you're not living the life that God's called you to and you're not bearing the fruit you know you're supposed to. This altar is open for you today. There's no reason for you to be fearful or shameful. This is good ground and common ground. We are here as a family to be changed by the word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to come down.